This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 21st of March 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it is a discussion of heart and living with one's heart full and open and presented to the world and the the risks of doing that and the risks of not doing that and I realized that I talk about how I realized that subconsciously I was gravitating towards things that were exploring that idea and the kind of the wounding of one's heart um, because I, I, I realized I've been watching movies that stepped into that area so during the episode I'll be talking about Penny Marshall's Big um, and Alexander Payne's The Descendants and Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story um, as kind of points of reference and I also at the end of the podcast look at a very um, dodgy heart situation uh, a relationship where bruised hearts are all around and that's um, the relationship that's about to end between my football team (laughs) Spurs and the manager um, the very hot-blooded Antonio Conte who um, yeah he's made it very clear his time is done so that is what's coming up in today's episode the heart affairs of the heart and what to do with one's heart how to protect it and how to sort of live fearlessly with it extended to the world okay i will see you around the corner cheers not gonna change my Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. I hope this finds you well. Now, how's your heart? I don't mean from a a health point of view, from an actual cardiac function point of view. I mean, (laughs) all the other ways we think of our heart emotionally I, I suppose emotionally primarily isn't it isn't it heart versus head how much of your heart do you offer to the world on a daily basis <laughs> that that is that is the focus that is going to be the focus of today's episode heart heart what heart mode heart heart offering how do you carry your heart? What sort of shape is your heart in in that regard? Incredibly subjective and almost certainly coloured by your lifetime experiences. Recent ups and downs particularly. Um, and I wonder about the how well the heart recovers from life's trials and tribulations so um yeah now i know part of you you're wondering what that's a very that's a very uh full-on start 
So um, I'll roll back and just go with the um, the standard. The standard. How's it going? How was your St. Patrick's Day? Did you celebrate? Is it is it something you do celebrate? Uh, I think I may have commented before. Again, my wife and I not being big into the whole drinking thing, the drinking scene, the lifestyle. Patrick's Day, which for many people is connected to uh, copious consumption of alcohol. Not everyone, of course. It's also connected to watching parades of various standards. <laughs> we we took ourselves off to some friends, Catherine and Angus, uh, up in West Dublin, and uh, watched a bit of their local parade and just hung out with them and their kids for the day uh, last Friday, which was very nice, very nice. Old pals, and we listened to a lot of good music and a lot of Irish-themed music throughout the day. And it was lovely. It was a lovely catch up and a nice way to to start the weekend. Um, yeah. Now, if if you're someone who is new to the podcast, this is episode 96, unless I'm mistaken. Instead of me laying out what I do here, one of the easiest things you could do is just go back and listen to the very first episode, which was from May uh, 2021. And if you listen to that episode, you'll you'll get a bit of a, a general spiel and introduction to where this came from and a sense of the sort of the mission statement. Um, so if the name, the clear out and the the subtitle wellness with attitude doesn't mean anything to you uh go back go back and listen to the first episode is what i would say and then you'll, you'll kind of get a sense of the starting point um but listen to this take each episode on its own merits and you can uh, decide what you think then and if you're a returning listener my goodness you are so welcome <laughs> You are so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for lending me your ears for uh, the next however long. 60 to 70 odd minutes, typically. Now, where where should I begin? Where does this start? This, this kernel, uh, that's K-E-R as opposed to C-O-L. This kernel of an idea. I latched on to the idea of heart. Why? Do you know what I was thinking of? I had a funny little moment with one of the guys I was acting with recently. And <laughs> it was a it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. It was quite tense. Uh but he and I had to just mark through a bit of fight choreography each night before the show and that's you know very typical you know you know it was it was, it was the fight call there was a dance call as well so he could mark through um, a dance sequence he did with one of the other performers in any case we were doing our little fight call rehearsal and he he just brought this little vibe 
to the to what we were doing and he was clearly expressing a sort of a, an impatience and an irritation with something that had been happening and you know something that had been happening something that had been happening with the choreography and he the way he kind of broached it with me irritated me and I I should have let it I should have let it alone <laughs> I should have just let it go because I'd observed I'd observed this uh, kind of trait in him over rehearsals where he had a way of <sighs> he had a way of showing his irritation with the perceived failings of his castmates that was a bit off and could very easily be misinterpreted as arrogant uh insensitive um not being particularly respectful of the people he was working with um he just come in very hard and fast with a vibe an attitude a reaction that was very dismissive of something that had just happened. Anyway, that's kind of what I was getting. And I wasn't really in the mood. And I I, I, I tried to adapt to, to suit his needs. And that was fine. And then I just, that's when I should have let it go and gone, don't worry about it. But I was annoyed by the, the attitude. And so I, I chose to point out that he'd been, he'd also been doing something that I felt was, less than optimal um, in the, the fight choreography and was getting a little bit dangerous and that was it like then it just I could just feel the the vibe between us turning sour and he got very pissy about it and sort of refused to admit that maybe he hadn't been he had changed something and it was really crappy and he leaned hard into a very disingenuous well what I thought was disingenuous sort of uh, insistence on mapping out things in a way that we hadn't at any point previously done like going okay well I'll step exactly here and you'll step exactly there and this is how we'll do it now he's a great dancer and I'm a pretty experienced martial artist at this stage so we both have a very good reading of space distance um, and I just trusted instinctively that as long as we were faithful to the shape of the choreography, that nothing would go wrong and nothing had gone wrong. But again, I was kind of just irritated by his kind of his whole attitude um, and this energy he was giving off. And so it just kind of escalated and got just really tense. And it got a little bit back and forth, you know, nothing physical, just you could just feel it between us and it was just bristling with um, anger and frustration and irritation and confrontation and you could feel the atmosphere around us just really everyone kind of going what the hell is going on here and eventually I just thought I just could feel it just not going I just could feel it not ending well and I just said forget it forget the whole thing let's just go back to exactly what we were doing before it's all good and I said, I'm sorry, you know, let's just let this go and we'll just do what we're doing. I, I, I trust you and it's all good. 
and that's what we did and yeah no worries and are you, are you guys are you okay yeah yeah we're fine and went did the show fight choreography went beautifully no other issues at all it was all fine but i was really pissed off i was really pissed off and <laughs> and like here's the simple truth like here's the simple truth i was just kind of i was hurt and that might sound incredibly wussy and precious but i was like whoa i just didn't i i just did not have the head on to be receiving that kind of energy from uh, a colleague and from someone who i've been working with very closely with great sort of openness and trust and yeah it really just kind of soured me on the experience it was only, you know and it wasn't it was, it was a very short run of shows as 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 you know if you've been listening to the the podcast um but i just couldn't wait to get the hell out of there that night and just get home and distance myself and i was kind of i was troubled by how much it had upset me because I, I recognized this guy's personality um and you know i knew he was tricky in moments even though i think he's a lovely lovely guy <laughs> and he's very young but he's just you know he's just yeah he's he's just he's great he's a really great great character i've got nothing but time for him and i really enjoyed you know so much of my experience working with him but this was a crappy moment and i kind of was i just i was going man how did i let this get inside me so much why did it bother me so much and like going back in the following uh, afternoon evening to to perform again um i was like this I, I can't bring this energy back in where i'm feeling so sort of defensive um and kind of wounded a bit <laughs> uh and i so and basically i just thought okay how, how do i how do i actually settle this in my own head and calm down and not go in with this kind of kicked a dog feeling and i thought and this is not meant to be in any way patronizing but i thought oh i'll just i'll just forgive him in you know not 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 like not outwardly verbally just in my own mind i'll forgive him it's grand you know he's he's a young guy and maybe not fully aware of how he puts himself across it's no problem just forgive him it's grand and now that again that can be a very arrogant position you know i forgive you <laughs> what get the fuck out of here <laughs> but um yeah and i and and i did kind of just come to peace with it very quickly then and it was grand and you know the rest of the run finished out beautifully and there were lots of nice moments and that was fine but i was reflecting on it again this week just in the last couple of days and i, th- I was thinking what exactly was it that made me feel the way i did and i thought and this is where we get back to the heart idea it was because i enter into that space i entered into that process the rehearsal process i entered into all the relationships with the people with whom i was working closely in that show with a very open unguarded heart because I was passionate about the project, because I was passionate about going into that space and doing good work, and because I'm passionate about having the best possible working relationship 
with people I'm working with um, in, in, a, in a creative space. Um, and particularly that show was very intimate and the rehearsals were very intimate and we all brought a lot of ourselves and a lot of vulnerability, honesty, openness, authenticity into the space in the developing of the piece, of the work. And we tried to continue to bring that energy into the performance each night. And it was a small, tight-knit group. And that's a great thing. When that works, that is a beautiful thing. And it contributes to the overall dynamic and energy of a piece. And I think it was a big part of the success of the show. And this incident just threw me because the way I was thinking about it was, this is, you know, (laughs) I'm offering you my heart. Don't, you know, don't put your foot in it. Don't, you know, don't step on it. Don't put your cigarette out in it. Um, And that idea just got me thinking in general about well, what is that? What is that disposition? And how how does anybody with that disposition get on in life and get on in the world? Now, I would draw a connection between what I've just described, the offering of the full heart and a certain idealism, a certain maybe romantic view of certain things, certain experiences, certain spaces, moments, um and what that brings in my opinion is a vulnerability and then there's always risk there's always risk involved with vulnerability and what i don't want this to be is i don't want it to be analogous to naivety because I think that is actually a type of cynicism when you view someone who is bringing a huge amount of sincerity to things when that person is dismissed as being naive, callow, green, um, in some way unsophisticated or ill-suited to the the attritional nature of life to the attritional nature of people to the imperfect messiness of dealing with others um to my mind that's an admission of defeat and to my mind what that does for people who subscribe to that idea is there's a sort of a an encoded or a hardwired um compromise involved and a sort of a a hedging and a caginess um and of course that doesn't come from nowhere because when you offer up your heart <laughs> to the world <laughs> inevitably it's going to get the crap kicked out of it <laughs> and you're this uh you know this <laughs> this engine this engine of love um which is how you know I'm conceiving of it so this is very much this is very this is very much the metaphorical heart and not the you know not not the um 
the mechanism, the machine, the, the, the pumping engine of the human body. I am speaking strictly in metaphorical terms. Um, so yeah, when you offer up that thing, it's, it, it, you know, the, 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 it's, it's going to take a kicking at different times for different reasons. And I think that's, that's an ongoing challenge. It, it's an ongoing challenge to, to continue, to continue to go, no, it's okay. I'm going to continue to offer up my heart to the world in different circumstances. So, yeah, there, there are going to have to be some, some clarifications here. There's going to have to be some nuance applied. And there has to be discretion, good judgment. To whom are you offering a full heart? In what situations are you offering a full heart? And what circumstances are required for you to feel this is this is a good move this is the right way to be at this moment um yeah so as i was sort of unpacking that for myself and thinking about it i i realized that there must have been something there must have been some something kind of sniffing under the surface of my subconscious that was being directed um, to this area of inquiry. And it's funny, I was, just, I was just thinking before I pressed record about, um, again, some of my screen time over over the, the weekend uh, and how I say, ah, oh, okay, there's a, <laughs> there's a connection here that was, that was feeding into maybe this, um, this kernel around the heart and how it can really take a knocking at different times and last thursday movie night it was movie night because friday was a day off national holiday for saint patrick's day and so my daughter was like yeah yeah great movie night now the previous weekend we had a movie night and we watched a not great uh, live action animation mix movie which was a sort of a, a chip and dale do you know chip and dale the what are the chipmunks aren't they they're, I don't know when they first came into the Disney canon, um, maybe the 60s, maybe before then. But um, Chip and Dale had a movie last year, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. And it was trying to be a little bit postmodern and there were things about it that worked and things about it that didn't. And anyway, I was a bit like, yeah, whatever. My wife went to bed, but my daughter really enjoyed it. Anyway, um, I was determined you know, for the next movie night that we'd watch something that I'd enjoy. So I suggested to my daughter that we watch Big um 1988 i think penny marshall's uh movie about the young josh baskin a nice young fella who wishes he were bigger and he makes that wish with a rather spooky carnival funfair kiosk machine zoltar i think who once once Josh has dispensed his money and made his wish, a card is dispensed with the simple sentence, your wish has been granted. And Josh wakes up the next morning and he is no longer who he was. He is now Tom Hanks. Um, 
Big. And Big is a, a film of enormous charm. I remember seeing it in the cinema. Uh, would have been, I would have been a 14-year-old. I'm just thinking, this is great. And Tom Hanks is great. I've always liked that side of um, the Tom Hanks persona. I thought he, he's always been a very good uh, kind of light comedian. Um, naturally charming, funny. Um, yeah, and, and just this kind of this, this thing that Tom Hanks has, has always had as an actor, which is he's, he's, he's an, enorm- an enormously kind of sympathetic um, persona. He just invites you in. Um, and there's something about how he carries himself and the whole vibe he gives off and I mean some people call it like an everyman thing like he's this ages Jimmy Stewart um, I'm not entirely convinced of that and yeah anyway but like the young Tom Hanks really really great and one nice thing that happened when my daughter and I were watching it well I thought it was really nice um, and it was it's purely a nice thing for me but about midway through the film, Tom Hanks uh, has invited his co-worker, played by Elizabeth Perkins, back to his apartment. And she has no idea, of course, that he's actually, you know, actually a, a boy in this man's body and thinks they're going back for some very grown-up activity. But his whole apartment is decked out like a kid's playroom with pinball machines and the basketball hoop and toys, um, nothing remotely indicative of an adult's taste or lifestyle. And um, he also has in his room, in the, in the apartment, a trampoline. And so he encourages her to try the trampoline, which he does so very tentatively until he gets up and they really go for it. And then we get this one shot from outside the building uh, which just has them uh, bouncing in the window of whatever fifth or sixth floor um, apartment, and my daughter just instinctive, instinctively said, "Oh wow, that, that that looks really good," which was her way of saying that's a really good shot. And I was like, "Ah, oh, I was," <laughs> I just felt this thrill of, "Wow, she's starting to look at movies." Um, with a you know with a critical eye and yeah I I just had this surge of kind of excitement and um, I don't know not pride not pride because I, I, I'm very um, I have a, I have my own theory about this idea of you know I'm so proud of you know my daughter I mean it's there's something, there's, I always feel there's a bit of a, a vanity or something involved in that idea. You know, when parents talk about their greatest achievements being their kids. Um, you know, I, you know, I recognise that maybe by spending some time with me and observing the way I watch movies, maybe some of that has rubbed off on my daughter. You know, which drives my wife mad because she thinks, you know, I'm just a, a complete nerd uh, when it comes to movies and I don't enjoy movies, I analyze them and or document them and, you know, draw data from them, research them. And she just rolls her eyes and it's just like, I don't hear anything. I don't know any facts about anyone. Just watch the bloody movie. <laughs> um, whereas I'd be like, you know, with my daughter, 
I was like, oh, you know, to realize that the, you know, the, the, you know, it was a woman who directed this movie, and she also directed a League of Their Own, the baseball movie, four years after Big, which my daughter has also seen and enjoyed a lot. Also, Tom Hanks in that, um, as a sort of an alcoholic coach and the reluctant male coach of a female baseball team. Um, but that's a League of a League of Their Own is quite a quite a good movie, as well. Um, but anyway. I just loved it. I love my daughter going, oh, that's a nice shot. Oh, she, she didn't say, that's a nice shot. She said, oh, that looks good. And I just loved that, you know, she, she'd stepped out of the movie for a moment just to look at the, the cinematography or the shot choice. And I was like, okay, cool. Here it begins. And I suppose I, I suppose my thrill was actually a sense of this is a, a point of connectivity between us. This will be something perhaps that will strengthen the bonds of our relationship i didn't make any comment on it at the time other than say yeah it is but to come back to this thesis about the heart i was realized well of course tom hanks his character in big is the young boy in the adult world who's going in with this kind of innocence and this sincerity and this kind of guilelessness and a straightforward, uh, uncynical approach to all these adult encounters. And it is, of course, what makes him an absolute revelation to the somewhat exasperated, jaded boss played by Robert Loggia, probably one of his most kind of benign performances. Um, you know, typically, Robert Loggia was often deployed more on the kind of the sinister side of things. But um, he's a kind of a, an avuncular boss, the head of the toy company that Tom Hanks ends up working for. And he's just marvels at Tom Hanks's perspectives on toys and how he just understands toys in a way that none of the adults can get um, and just brings that natural enthusiasm to play, um, which, of course adults forget in fact i saw something i saw something somebody put up on uh on social media yesterday about oh man it was some i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna get the figures wrong i'm gonna get the numbers wrong but it was something about how many times a day a six-year-old laughs and it was like was it 600 (laughs) compared to an adult laughing not even six times a day and the the thrust was yeah try and remember how to be a six-year-old and find um find the fun in life i guess um and that yeah i mean that that can be overdone and that can be a very sickly sweet naff insight you know don't 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 put away your toys don't don't put away your ability to play um, don't be so serious that you forget to be able to play. Um, in fact, I think that was something that my uh, when I was in acting school, the artistic director used to come out with little kind of truisms like that. Don't be so serious that you cannot play and don't play so much that you can't be serious. Um, yeah. Anyway, so big. Tom Hanks bringing his B 
big heart to proceedings and winning the heart of the the ladder climbing ambitious would be kind of yuppie uh, Elizabeth Perkins who by the way smokes incessantly through the movie it was hilarious every, every in nearly every scene she's just puffing away on a cigarette it was just so bizarre uh, and not all characters were it was really strange um quite a funny John Hurd performance in that movie as well as the the jealous ex-boyfriend um of Elizabeth Perkins who also works in the toy company and yeah anyway so there was that that was big and you're thinking okay what can we learn from big you know bringing just a little bit of that that sense of wonder to the adult world i mean this this harks back to something i was talking about a couple of weeks ago um when i was talking about seeing things as as new and trying to bring fresh eyes to to life and to the world even if you're no longer 18 or 28 or 38 or even 48 in my case um and looking at things with an openness to finding things interesting fresh invigorating revelatory that that capacity it gets gets challenged as we as we get older um and I suppose that is connected again. It probably comes back to my own sort of. Um, it's a de- it's definitely a part of my own kind of personal philosophy and how I I view how to get the best out of out of life and how to, to try and maximize. Um, not, not not even maximize. Again, another loaded word for me, but how to counter the the cynicism how to counter the the sense of mundanity or or repetition the sense of things being being gray the sense of things being unchanging um the sense of the sense perhaps of nothing good to come um i think i think you can counter that by bringing a certain mindfulness again another loaded term and like mindfulness isn't just constantly being in a zen like state throughout the day but i think well i i i think of it personally as having a sort of a a slow flowing awareness underneath everything else and that slow flowing awareness just like a like a, a very gentle kind of ripple of of sensitivity underneath things that is alive to being moved is alive to to seeing something is alive to hearing something and is alive to internal yeah internalizing or absorbing those moments to to enrich the moment i think is how i think about it 
um yeah so that's yeah that's that's kind of that that's there in the mix and that does come back to this idea then of wholeheartedness and bringing one's heart to proceedings now just to to stay with the movies for a couple of moments the other couple of movies i watched over the weekend so after talking to my friend angus on saturday uh, on friday sorry um i rewatched the descendants alexander payne's 2011 movie with george clooney as uh, a hawaii resident who comes from a, a long um line of um hawaii people hawaiians who have owned land in hawaii for many generations because uh, one of his ancestors married an indigenous uh, hawaiian kind of tribal leader and they inherited a lot of land so george clooney is has become the representative of uh, a very large extended family um uh, who has to make a decision on what's to be done with a huge tract of unspoiled Hawaiian land. And while that is playing out, he's also coming to terms with the fact that his wife is in a coma and is soon to die. And he has two teenage daughters. He has to negotiate this sort of uh, bereavement with and negotiate his own feelings because he's been somewhat estranged from his wife and had great intentions to give the marriage a a second chance a second lease of life Um, and then his wife is sort of taken from him Uh, and it's it's actually it's a really good George Clooney performance a very sort of fragile performance but also a very comic performance and I was appreciating his comic skills um, throughout the movie. And yeah, but there's also a real emotional vulnerability. Um, and he just played it really, really well. And I enjoyed I enjoyed revisiting that movie. Um, and yeah, and quite moving, of course, in, 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 in moments and very sad and his... This kind of compromised relationship with his wife, who he finds out um, was having an affair um, because one of the older teenage daughter knew about that, and he tries to, yeah, he confronts the man with whom the wife was having the affair, and you know, again, there's all these kind of comic set pieces, but again, a sort of a a dramedy, as they would say. I mean, there's a lot of you know dramatic, dramatically real moments. And I did see one review refer to Alexander's male protagonists as beached males, which I thought was quite nice. Um, If you think of Paul Giamatti's character in Sideways, Matthew Broderick in Election, and Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt, they're all men who are just struggling to cope, struggling to deal with what life has sort of dumped in their laps they're all somewhat thwarted and unstuck um but they now matthew broderick's character played much more for comedy but certainly paul giamatti jack nicholson and george clooney these were very sort of fully etched 
you know, characters kind of flawed, um, in pain and sort of scrambling for survival and scrambling for hope um, and trying to do the right thing, trying to negotiate their own courage or lack of it and trying to trying to face into the challenge of not hiding from life and not hiding from life's disappointments and slights um, and um, happenstances and done really well um, I'm trying to think there must have been there must have been another Alexander Payne movie more recently but I can't think of what it was so I watched The Descendants and again there's definitely there's definitely issues of heart in that and I mean that side of the story is quite romantic ultimately George Clooney there's there is something slightly idealistic about him um but uh, yeah I thought a very likable character in, in in difficult circumstances um and in terms of the direction very restrained from Alexander Payne just some of the scenes just not fully going to the obvious places in terms of dialogue or the expected response or the expected beat just having the the discipline to to let things sit in sort of an unresolved place or an unspoken place that requires discipline and i'm not sure i have it (laughs) as a storyteller uh, in terms of my my story the stories that i've written um i i i I do tend to i often like to write characters or in really crappy circumstances but they get the reward of perseverance um and sometimes maybe that does I need to examine that. Maybe that just does end up being sentimental that things work out for people who are earnestly trying to make shit work. Um, And maybe that's a reflection of what I... Maybe that's a reflection of how I see myself. Um, Because, yeah, and this is, again, something I think I I listened to in another movie I watched over the weekend uh, or, or, or listened to on a podcast that... All art. No, it was a podcast. I know what it was. Yeah, it was a podcast. It was Amanda Dobbins talking about Marriage Story, which I also watched uh, on The Big Picture. Uh, I re-listened to their podcast about Marriage Story from 2019. But she was talking about like how all art is ultimately autobiographical. All music, all books, all movies. Um, it's always got a huge amount of the creator in it. Um, and that was particularly relevant to marriage story which i'm about to talk about but just thinking about when i've written short stories um yeah that 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 i recognize that pattern in my own narrative structures anyway um yeah so the descendants really nice well worth a revisit if you haven't if you, if you want to watch it again and sorry I've, I've obviously spoiled it if you haven't seen it but um it's not that kind of movie it's like it's it's not a whodunit it doesn't hang on those plot revelations um it's just it's just a nicely observed sort of family drama um and as i say i can't remember what critic it was referred to those male protagonists as beached males but i just thought that was a really nice thing 
Um, and so, yes, to Marriage Story. Marriage Story, I saw when it came out. I think be, my wife and I watched it just before uh, we left Australia. I think that was one of the... <laughs> that was like a, a warning that came with the movie. It was like, don't watch this with your spouse. <laughs> but um, we did. It didn't do anything to make us better or worse in our relationship. Uh, we had enough. We had enough going on just trying to make the big relocation back to Ireland. But... Um, and that was, that was, as, as I've spoken about before, that was an emotional time in that lead up to leaving Australia after our 10 years in Melbourne and, the, you know, how that coincided with the, the pandemic uh, and all that stress. But in any case, I I was just scrolling on Netflix the other night and I saw a marriage story there and I thought, oh yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> I want to rewatch this. And I think partly because I'd just seen a clip of Scarlett Johansson on the Jimmy Fallon show um taking part in a magic trick with some magician who i didn't know um and i just she just looked so lovely in that that clip from jimmy fallon i thought oh yeah cool i could handle i could handle watching a good scarlett johansson performance um away from the marvel universe and marriage story which of course also stars adam driver um you know two great performances by her and him in marriage story which is Noah Baumbach's movie from 2019 and again Noah Baumbach you know a director who writes you know he's kind of in the Woody Allen school maybe in the Wes Anderson school a bit it's always you know his characters are always sort of well-educated um well-educated white Americans um of a certain level of of privilege and success um, a certain level of neuroses um, and often sort of New York um, set uh, stories, but not always. Um, often American kind of Jewish backgrounds, uh, particularly in the, the Meyerowitz stories, which I really, really liked. That was his movie from, I think, 2017. Very, a very, very funny Dustin Hoffman performance in that movie and also a very funny Emma Thompson performance in that movie. Uh, that's well worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Um, but Marriage Story is what? Just, I, I don't know. I, I watched it the other night and I watched it from start to finish and I had a little cry when it was over. <laughs> and there are moments during the movie that are very moving and I just found myself going along with them and I didn't, I, I, I mean, I wasn't feeling overly emotional or anything, but when the movie ended, I it, there was I just felt such a sadness. It's actually this extraordinary love story, is how I think about it. And marriage story is the story of a, it's a, it's the story of a divorce. Um, so uh, a, a very successful theatre director, Adam Driver, and his muse wife, the actress, uh, played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, and they've had they've had a ten year relationship and they have a young son, and when we meet them, they're already um, having sort of separation counselling in anticipation of a divorce, and there are quite a few little sort of set piece talky scenes where particularly one where Scarlett Johansson lays out all her grievances from the relationship. Uh, with her um, attorney, um, 
the divorce lawyer who's going to represent her in divorce proceedings, played brilliantly and funnily and cynically by Laura Dern, um, in a great, great performance. Did she win an Oscar for that? I think she might have. Um, and then the other lawyers who come across, we come across later, are um, viciously tenacious and very funny as well. Ray Liotta, and also a sort of a kind of a haplessly shambolic but hilarious performance from Alan Alda as this nice guy divorce lawyer who you just know don't go with this guy he's just going to be useless um, who and that's who Adam Driver initially fetches up with until he returns to Ray Liotta even though he's like twice as expensive but um, yeah it, 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 so but basically the movie just kind of takes us through their fracturing worsening relationship as the divorce proceedings um get going and it's funny the first time i watched it the first time i watched it i i came down very much in in kind of favor of of adam driver's character and he i felt like he was being outmaneuvered by at this by scarlett johansson's character who was just sort of blithely allowing these terrible things to be done to adam driver by her legal representatives and just plowing headlong into bringing things to an end where adam driver's character was sort of (laughs) and maybe this is i'm I'm seeing myself adam driver's character was being the sort of the romantic and kind of go no no look we'll we're going to settle all this amicably and you know we agreed that we weren't going to get lawyers involved and and she's just like a hundred miles down the track and he's still kind of going what's going on what do i need to do and when i first watched it i was like oh wow god i mean she's really stuck it to him in this very cold withdrawn way um but then when I rewatched it the other night, I, I just felt so much more clearly the balance of the the injustices within the relationship and his sort of egocentrism and self-absorption um, and just this sense of, and I think I, I referred to this in last week's episode or the episode before, this idea of you know the stories we tell ourselves, the narratives that we spin to ourselves to convince ourselves of things that simply aren't true and the blind spots that contribute to our views of self and certainly our views of how we are with the people closest to us. Um, two great, great dramatic performances, uh, a bit of, thea- bit of theatricality here and there because they're both the characters they're playing are in those worlds. Uh, they each get to do a musical number and, um, they each do a song from Stephen Sondheim's company um, at different times. Uh, and great comic assistance um, from Scarlett Johansson's family members, uh, the character's family members in the movie. Um, Merritt Weaver, who you might have known from from Nurse Jackie. Um, that, quite that funny uh, medical comedy drug addict drama series with Edie Falco as the titular nurse Jackie have I got that right is it nurse Jackie I think it was uh, why am I thinking I'm getting that confused with that other that movie the Neil LeBute movie with Renee Zellweger as the nurse with amnesia what's that one that's nurse Betty isn't it um yeah anyway 
Nurse Jackie Merritt Weaver from that as um, Scarlett Johansson's character's sister. Very good. And also hilarious performance from Julie Haggerty, who you might remember from the from Airplane, um, the spoof air crash movie from way back when. Oh my God, she's very funny in Marriage Story as well as, you know, the mother who used to be an actress and is still kind of talking in that Hollywood way. And, oh, yeah, funny, funny, very well-judged performance. But but ultimately, as I said, I had this kind of, you know, reaction to the movie when it ended, just this kind of, this sadness because the the love between the two characters was so palpable and their sadness was so palpable and the sense of loss and I suppose <laughs> I, su- I suppose you know on a level I was sort of reflecting on my own my own life and my own journey and my my marriage and you know where my wife and I have kind of traveled to um yeah metaphorically speaking but like emotionally speaking and the challenging times we've had to sort of negotiate um particularly over the last 10 years um and yeah i just had i had a real sense of of loss for um the 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 sort of the the loss of the the ease that had been there and the loss of the sort of the lightness that had been between us for so long. Now, I'm not saying that with any sense of fatalism or irrevocability. Um, you know, lots of good things happening in, in, in my relationship with my wife, to whom I'm very much, to whom I very much remain, to whom I remain very much dedicated. Um, and that that will continue. But yeah i mean again i'm just you know it, again this is in the spirit of, of what i do here on this uh this thing this thing that i do i'm just being honest i'm just being open and i'm just i, I just had a moment and to me it, you know the descendants marriage story and even that aspect of the big story you know it, it all comes back to the heart and the being open hearted to life and to the world and then how you you carry that heart um <laughs> and i don't know it's, it's it's like it maybe sometimes i feel like i'm holding my heart outside of myself in in a very delicately but beautifully wrapped box but it's a little bit battered and crumpled um but i'm determined to hold it sort of preciously and present it as something lovely to the world <laughs> everywhere i go here's my heart um yeah and so i suppose i've been i've been interrogating myself over the last couple of days going what's what's the benefit like what's is the, and and you know and challenging again challenging my own assumptions and asking myself if it isn't naive if it isn't colossally stupid and idiotically self-harming to insist on romance to insist on offering up a sincerity 
of heart to life when circumstances are saying that is just not the priority when life's circumstances are saying would you put your bloody heart away and get on with what has to be got on with and stop wasting stop wasting your energy um stop wasting your energy on 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 emotional defibrillators <laughs> and so but i you know i'm just i'm just talking that through and i know i know 100% i know 100% that i reject that I reject it. I reject it with every ounce of my heart. Because that to me is it's 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 the road to it's the road to darkness. It's it's the road to the extinguishing of light. It's you know, it's choosing to extinguish lights and I I can't actually I, I, I just go if that's my choice and I'm not I'm not putting this into a, a depression frame I'm not putting this into like a mental health collapse frame but for me my attitude is what's the point if you're turning out the lights, what's the point? What's the point in doing anything if they aren't things that light you up? If they aren't things that motivate you and inspire you and make you want to be better and make you want to bring better things to the people you care about? Um, and, you know, the make you want to bring better parts of yourself and better application to the things that you care about. Um, and so, for example, if I take something like teaching a karate class, like I have, you know, I have a f- f- literally, I mean, at the moment, I think I have four karate students, kids, boys who come to me on different days for, for a single class. And sometimes I'm just thinking to myself, what is the point <laughs> <laughs> I cause I just can't be arsed to go and teach a karate class. But then when I just put on my gear and I go to actually teach, there I just there's I won't tolerate not bringing all of myself to that session and trying to do as good a job as possible. And I just couldn't live with myself if I just went out and dialed it in. Um and most of the time when I you know, worked as a teacher in different capacities, different, different levels of education, different age groups, etc., that was always my attitude, even if I wasn't always monstrously inspired to you know, go into work or go into a classroom. I always tried to kind of bring everything I had in that moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was my, that was kind of my default mode of engagement was, 
I'll get in and I'll see the students and I'll be motivated <laughs> and we'll find something that works for us and hopefully they walk out of here in a better place than you know than before the class started um and in a way that's how I how I approach you know my relationships as well um it's like well yeah this this um this moment this exchange it's 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 turning on a light it's turning on a light in you know in life and um, whether it's with a friend whether it's with uh, a family member whether it's with my wife my daughter um yeah each each moment and these are my words this is my frame each moment should lift us to a better place in a way and it's it's not i i don't mean that in an endlessly upward trajectory sense but again it's the idea that you know life is is richer when lived with others uh, and i say this as someone who is is not averse to his own company I mean, I couldn't do this podcast if I didn't enjoy spending time with myself. <laughs> um, so I think the there's there, there's just there's a sort of a, a faith and a sort of risk reward ratio there that I still feel falls down in favor of offering up the heart. Um, yeah. So a couple of other things heart related. Uh, one is I noticed my friend Ian, Harry Ian, I know you're not listening. <laughs> um, my friend Ian O'Malley, he has, uh, he has an, an Instagram page. Ian, is it Ian English language? Ian Irish language? Ian's a hugely experienced English language teacher. And he has a great social media page where he throws up little tidbits about Irish culture and how Irish, how the how English is spoken and used by Irish people. Um, what I might do is I might throw a link into his page in the description of this episode because it's got a couple of underscores in the title um of his instagram account but it is it's something like that i can't remember if it's english with ian or english ian oh anyway whatever i'll throw it in anyway ian put up something the other day about cladder rings um and just the it was just a yeah a quick insta page about you know cladder rings and the significance of the cladder ring uh what each part of the cladder ring represents um and of course the cladder ring if you're not familiar with the design of the cladder ring, basically it's two hands holding a heart with a crown on it. And depending on which way you turn the ring on your finger, you can be offering the heart outwards to somebody, which indicates that you're single and available. Or you have the heart coming back towards yourself, which indicates that you're spoken for or you're in a relationship and you're not in a position to offer your heart to anybody. But that was that was yesterday. So that was up and I thought, okay, there you go again. There's the heart one more time. 
Um, and funnily enough, I was just looking at the, 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 the history of the clattering on, on Wikipedia. And basically, the it, it, it's supposed to originate in a place in Galway called Clada, hence Clattering, uh, Fáinne Cladig, um, Osgoelga. But um, there was one... <laughs> There was one funny thing I read. Now, it's, and basically, it goes back to the the sixteen hundreds is when uh, they they first started making clatterings. Um, and there was an American mineralogist whose surname was Kunz K U N Z, and he wrote a book in nineteen eleven in which the clattering was mentioned, and the name of his book was Rings for the Finger. Um, and I I speculate that he had sequels to that book um so this the, the follow-up was rings for the toe and then his 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 great opus that he was working on before he died was rings for the nipple so um you can go and seek those out um and maybe maybe only the first one of those actually exists but i was just going rings for the finger i was thinking to myself well well where else where else buddy um, so that was thanks to the, the great mineralogist something something was it Frederick William Cunz or something like that um, I thought that was very funny amusing myself if um, if no <laughs> if no one else um, oh yeah George Frederick Cunz yeah K-U-N-Z rings for the finger from 1911 straight to the top of the uh, the New York Times bestseller list Um so yeah, the clattering, um, again, the offering of the heart. So, and you know, typically that's obviously, you think of that and it's a very classically romantic um, offering, um, very much about love and romantic love. Uh, so that that was again, again, the subconscious was sniffing it out, latched onto it. Uh, so we had stories of the heart, it's particularly mar- marriage story and you know, those damaged hearts, those wounded hearts. Uh, that, that that pain of the wounded heart and the the anger the anger of being hurt the anger of being unseen the anger of the anger of not being held carefully and not having your heart held carefully um, reminds me of that line from Bob Dylan's song "Don't Think Twice It's All Right I gave you my heart but you wanted my soul uh, Don't Think Twice It's All Right I, uh, I remember <laughs> I remember on the back of a, a big breakup in my life I listened to that song incessantly just, there was just something about the the bitterness um, of it the pain of it that, that spoke to me and I continue to be very fond of that song now one other one other broken heart situation and don't scoff don't scoff because I've, I've been thinking about this um, in a very serious way my my beloved football team, Spurs, Tottenham, Hotspur, FC, the North London, the North London Football Club, the legends, Spurs, uh, they're in a terrible relationship. And so Spurs, <laughs> Spurs, Spurs's heart is getting broken and all you know, the, the hearts of millions of Spurs fans are getting broken by the terrible relationship Spurs finds itself in at the moment with its very angry very upset very um heartbroken manager antonio conte um 
Antonio Conte, very volatile, emotional Italian manager, only 53, um, had a huge outburst in his post-match press conference at the weekend and was scathing about the players under his charge, scathing about the culture at the club, the losing culture, the losing mentality, the inability to step up when the pressure came comes on. Uh, he spoke a lot of truth. He spoke a lot of truth about what, you know, and, and, and many Spurs fans would go, yeah, that's probably a fairly accurate description. But he was so brutal in dismissing his players and did it where you should never do it, which was directly to the media. That might be a bollocking you would give in the dressing room after a match. Um, but he was really emotional, clearly extremely upset and just you know, the, the the gloves came off and he vented ferociously um, about everything that was wrong at the club um, and didn't seem to want to implicate himself in any way, even though fans, myself included, have been railing against the horrible negative football he's been playing since he became manager 18 months ago. Now, Conte, prior to Spurs, has been a very successful manager and won trophies um, with other Premiership teams, Chelsea particularly. Uh, sorry, oh, that, that's the only other Premiership team he mentioned, but Chelsea uh, and also has had success with, um, I think, was it with Inter Milan and uh, was he at Juventus as well, with Italian, top Italian teams. And so he came to us as a serial winner um, and has failed to win anything. And in fact, it feels like we've moved backwards under his management um, but prior to him we had the also another serial winning coach Jose Mourinho who also failed to win anything with with us um, and before Jose we had uh, well between Jose and Antonio we had Nuno Espirito Santo um, and he didn't win anything he wasn't with us very long and he was really just another version of Mourinho very negative Portuguese football so we've had a few years now of very negative, defensive uh, football, the opposite of kind of expansive, free-flowing football, which is kind of more the tradition of how Spurs have always played football. Um, prior to those guys, we had Pochettino, arguably our most successful manager of the modern era, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, the Argentinian manager. But again, under him, we won nothing. And then a whole series of coaches before Pochettino and the last time we won anything was 2008, the League Cup final under Juan de Ramos. Juan de Ramos, mostly I remember him affectionately because the fans used to sing Juan de Juan de, um, which was, of course, a version of Monday Monday. Who was who, who was who, did, who sang Monday Monday? <laughs> One of those 60s bands, I can't think who. Um, but what is the problem here? Is is Spurs? Is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, are we just a terrible, terrible spouse? And these brilliantly successful partners, let's call them, these these managers to whom we become betrothed, who have had great relationships, successful winning relationships with other football teams, come to Spurs and... It's love on the rocks after a very short period of time. Um, is the problem with Spurs or is the problem with the managers, 
that Spurs have had. Now, some managers have had a lot more success and have, have had much better relationships with the players, with the fans, with the club. Um, Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho are, are not two of those managers. Um, and it's, yeah, Antonio Conte, he's on borrowed time. Now, in his defence, he's had a very, very tough year in his own life. He's lost three friends, uh, three of his friends, former players he played with uh, have died in the last 12 months uh, maybe even a shorter time frame than that one of those was working with him at Spurs uh, he was the fitness coach at Spurs so he's had a he's had a rotten time and he might just be having this terrible terrible personal year and he's just kind of lost the plot and he doesn't know how to articulate his grief um, and so he's just he's flailing and I, I was wondering I found myself wondering today will he in a year's time or two years time or three years time basically come out and say I completely failed at Spurs because I was blinded by grief and I was living with a shattered heart and couldn't continue um I'm wondering I'm wondering will that come out in the wash because he and also he had gallbladder surgery um a month or two ago so he's been through the mill and he certainly didn't look like a well man, um, certainly not from an emotional point of view, when he was ranting and raving um, in, in, you know, in genuine uh, exasperation, um, even if it may have been somewhat wrong headed um, at the weekend. So, um, I, yeah, Antonio's going to be gone very, very soon. Um, and that's, yeah, it's sad. But then football fans... <laughs> <laughs> we're like okay who's next who can fix this mess who can get those players playing with joy put a spring in their step um the bounce back when's it going to begin and in a way that is analogous to what i've been talking about today the idea that spurs fans have just had their hearts trodden on for well, particularly this year since the start of the season because we have been so, so unconvincing as a football team and there have been so many unhappy players and just this, just this, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like a, is it, is, it, is it miasma? Is that the word I'm looking for? Like this terrible fog of gloom and doom and you know occasional flashes to give you hope for a week or two and then back to awful sort of capitulation and defeat and enervating performances um it's been absolutely rotten and most Spurs fans that I know were just like I've given up like what's the point in even getting behind these guys at the moment it's it, the whole thing is such a mess but as I say once a new manager is appointed, it once a new manager is appointed, everyone's heart starts beating again, <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> we're next. We're going to be the next massively successful team and start winning, and the culture is going to change for the better. Um, and I think that is just a much nicer place to live with a sense of optimism, a sense of possibility a sense that my faith and love will be rewarded and there's nothing you can do that's going to convince me that uh you know there's only other way to be 
And I mean, I look at my dad, who's um, 80 and has uh, dementia, and he still gets enormously enthused about his football team, Manchester City. And he has a lot more reasons to be enthusiastic um, because they're soaked in in rather dubious Middle Eastern money, um, but have enjoyed enormous success as a result of that investment um which i think that's that's um what 16 years now of of that money flooding into that club and they have they've won they've won a lot uh not champions league yet but yeah my dad still gets very excited um and goes on the journey the ups and downs and that's what football fans do and um i don't know Maybe there's a, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's books out there. And I mean, I've spoken about this before, the sort of the, the philosophy and psychology of football fans and going on that roller coaster for, for 90 minutes every time your team plays and believing in the possibility of all things good for those 90 minutes until your dreams are shattered and then being absolutely miserable for a while until you bounce back and you roll the dice again the next week or even a few days later depending on your schedule and go maybe this time and any any true football fan will know what I'm talking about and maybe we can take some of that bounce back ability maybe we can take something from that religious fervor of following a football team you love into other areas of our life and go that wasn't good but maybe next time I'll win Maybe next time my heart will be full. So there you go. I'm going to leave it there. Um, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope the through line, I hope the through line worked for that. Um, go and watch those movies. <laughs> if you're looking for an emotional watch, The Descendants and Marriage Story. Um, if you want to laugh big, do watch big. And yeah, keep. Um, Keep putting your heart out there. It's um, you know, not like an Egypt. It's 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 not that. It's just not that at all. It's a much. It's connected to something much stronger, much more solid. You don't offer your heart to everyone. It's knowing those moments and places, um. And the rewards are so much greater. They're so much greater when you're willing to 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 put yourself out there and put your heart on the line and yeah sometimes you lose um but i'm not i'm not i'm not going to be changing anytime soon so i'm going to just keep turning on those lights <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens and if i end up sitting in the dark for a while so be it so be it another um another light will be well we'll turn on again soon enough okay that's it Thanks for listening. Um, Social media links will be there with the description of the episode for Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, Twitter. And if you want to support this independent podcast and give me that that kind of that kind of support, which is a real um, it's a real demonstrated belief in this project that is the the clear out podcast you can do so you can do that using either the supporter link 
or you can make a one-off contribution. Or if you want to be a regular donator, a patron, if you will, of the podcast, you can do so using the Patreon link. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out. I'd welcome, I'd welcome whatever you can give if you're in a position to give. Um, and it gives me more motivation to keep going. Uh, but otherwise, just uh, just listen, just enjoy, share it if you think it's worth uh, offering to someone else. Leave a comment, uh, rate where you listen, uh, subscribe, all of those nice things you can do with things like this. And um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you next week. Okay, thanks for listening. Take it easy. All the best. Mind yourself. Bye. Bye.